the past, the present, the future. This is Friday Night Fright. What the planet is listening to. Hello, this is Ian Austin, your boy of Friday Night Fright fame, with some big news. And the big news is this. I got a text from Mabel, those who aren't aware, Mabel was the woman who was helping me out with the Friday night telephone and various things other than that. And then she realised that Blair Witch was real and she is terrified, despite the fact that it's not real. She is so terrified and there's been scanned communication since. But she has got back to me and said that she will record and come back and record an exclusive introduction. Exclusive being exclusive because this is the only place you'll hear it. Place you'll hear it. Although there are various places you'll hear it, so who knows what I actually mean by that, but that's fine. But she said that she would record an introduction for the podcast in four weeks' time. But there's a stipulation. She's told me she'll only do it if the next three weeks I cover Blair Witch Project... Blair Witch Project 2, Book of Shadows, and The Blair Witch. And only if I can conclusively prove to her that these aren't real movies. If I do that, she'll record an intro. And you know me, I love challenges. And I don't love these terrible movies anyway. So I'm up to the challenge. So next three weeks are going to be commentaries for the Blair Witch movies. It's just a bit of a change up for what the original scheme system is going to be. Don't worry, I'm still working on the Scream script. That will be an episode of its own, um, maybe in four weeks. Maybe I'll just do the whole thing from scratch in four weeks. But for now, you're going to get three weeks of Blair Witch commentaries from me, which can be a bit interesting because I don't remember one of these movies being watchable and it wasn't Blair Witch Project and it wasn't The Blair Witch. So, you know, my opinions may vary on those. But I assure you, and I assure you, Mabel, if you're listening... I don't know why you'd be listening. You should be working on podcasts. But if you are listening, Mabel, I assure you, I will do my best to prove that these movies aren't real. But anyway, that's neither here nor there because I'll be back in a few seconds to start this podcast after a brief word from our sponsor. Right, and here we go, guys. Get ready. If you've got it set up, set up. If you haven't, pause it and when you're ready, set up, okay? So, Blairwood Project 999... 1 out of 21, 6.5 out of 10 on Amazon. That's not what we're focused on. We're focused on proving this is not a real movie. So I'm pressing play now. Oh shit, I've got to just fight him. Don't get sued by him. Artisan, if they're even still around. Here we go, Artisan Entertainment. You aren't in business making documentaries. If I'm wrong, buzz me on Prick Friday Night Fright Project. Friday Night Fright, even. Hots and Themes, Hats and Hats. That's not, that's nothing. This shit of subtitles. No. Well, that's fine. We don't need subtitles anyway. We can turn up a bit. Blair Witch Project. Mabel, it's not real. It's not real, Mabel, for God's sake, you know? Seriously. Oh, shit, I just edited that. I need to go back in. I'm drinking Dark Coat, by the way. Um, yeah, we've started from scratch again, so I'm at five seconds in now. Dark Coat's a bit of lemon. Again, this is not real. I don't see how anyone can think this be real. Like, in all jokes aside, even in 1999, how the fuck do you think this was real? Like, oh my god, uh, some kids have gone missing. Uh, like, come on. I mean, seriously, 
I know people are gullible, but arts and entertainment, we're not going to release a movie. We're a bunch of people. Right, okay. In October of 1994, three student move makers disappeared in Woods New Burkett State, Maryland, watching a documentary. A year later, the footage was found, and then four years later, we made the movie out of it. Like, we won't wait four years. Like, bullshit. Oh, it's so realistic. Oh, here's Heather, you know? Such realism. I joke, but it's, it's quite effective for what it does. I do like the argument people use that this was real, though. Like, oh, it's shot like shit. Oh, it's like... And, like, yes, it's a nice atmospheric thing, but, I mean, at the same time, it's like... Atmospheric? That doesn't make it real. Real is about a bit more than that. But I'm going to try and be somewhat impartial. Even though I have to admit I don't particularly care for this movie. I admire it. I respect it. But care for it? Not really, to be honest. It's going to make this a fucking hard slog to get through. Because this movie is 80 minutes long. We're only less than two minutes in. I would say, no, I... I in recent years, I've got more appreciation for movies where not a lot happens and more about the atmosphere and things like that. And I get the intent of the Blair Witch, like, it's scary because of the atmosphere and all of that. But at the same time, it's like, it's almost like it needs to be a bit more about than that. It's what I like about VHS movies. VHS basically takes the found principles of something like Blair Witch. It's my dark coat, by the way. The found principles of something like Blair Witch, where it's very atmospheric, it's intended to feel real and gritty and what i prefer about vhs is vhs is composed of short segments so it never gets to the point where you're bored and i think blair witch's power uh, back in the day was if you saw it and caught unwares by it because in american populace in mainstream america this was like to many the first found footage found footage quotation mark movie they saw whereas nowadays if you watch something like this it's almost quaint and I can see why people would buy into it. I mean, they bought into Campbell Holocaust. You know, people thought that was real. You know? And, like, it actually happened. And it's kind of because there were enough real elements like the um, disgusting animal deaths. Um, I've never actually seen it, by the way. I've read the um, script. Someone sent me the script years ago, back in formation of the internet, when got, like, um, Joe Blow and um, movie scripts and Doug's script in Porum, stuff like that. Back when scripts online were more of a thing. I mean, I read the script for Campbell Holocaust, and the script was like, holy shit. Like, I mean, when making a movie, I, I always assume something like Campbell Holocaust would be much like this, where it wasn't tight script, it was more improvised. Like, we have these elements, we know we've got an outline, but we're going to change up bits and pieces. But apparently, I mean, unless the script I read, which is written by a crazy fanboy, which happened. You know, unless that's the case, it was actually very tightly scripted, which was bizarre, because imagine having to write that shit. Imagine having to write, oh, so if you're squeamish, I apologise, oh, a spike goes through a woman's mouth and down her back, or is it up, I don't know, something like that. 
Anyway, this is part of the movie that actually does reasonably fascinate me. The sort of bat story. And the reason this fascinates me is the rest of the movie feels very movie. Not movie-like, but, you know, very haphazard, very improvised, which finds the realistic nature of it. This feels a tad more scripted. And fascinates me. So clearly put a lot of work, the guys who make this movie, into bat story behind Blair Witch. And one thing the movie does most right, in my opinion, it's my opinion, don't have to get upset about it, it creates a fascinating bat story, which the sequels, even though I like Blair Witch Project 2, Book Shadows the most, the sequels fuck up mythology so much. The acting's very anti-dramatic, though. I guess that's the point for it feeling real. I can see why Mabel would think that this had certain real elements to it. You know, it's sort of like... Some of the acting is very naturalistic, low-key, like this little kid who, in this scene, is all like, don't talk about it, don't talk about it, because she's spooked out, because, you know, she doesn't want to hear about witches and shit. Wait. Dude, sort the carpet out. Family bookcases. Oh, and here's this one guy who looks like straight out of Kevin Smith movie, where he's going to suck more dick than Rick Darris or something like that. I don't like the shift between black and white and colour, by the way. I feel like this movie, in a lot of ways, I would prefer that it's all in black and white. I feel like nature of material would work better flat. Yeah, you see kids sort of like, don't talk about Blair Witch. Don't. That's a lovely little bit of improv. And that, that's something which makes it feel a bit more real, you know. That's clearly not scripted. It's just this kid's like, don't talk about Blair Witch. Mum, don't do it. She doesn't want to hear about it. She genuinely looks petrified. Which is kind of fascinating because it's not acting. You know, the kid's not acting like that. She just doesn't want to hear about fucking Blair Witch. And after 20 years of his shit, I can't fucking blame the kid. Instantly. Right. Why wouldn't they make a Blair Witch movie this year? The 20th anniversary. No, I thought the last one did decently. But they haven't followed up on it at all. I know that one... Was more of a movie moving. I think that's what turned people off, really. They like the fact that this doesn't. It they know people know this is well now they know this isn't real, but it doesn't suspend their disbelief. Something that is going around a lot in wrestling at the moment, which is like, we know it's not real, but don't don't tell us it's not real. And people enjoy moves like this because they went keep such pretense that it was real. And then you get like Paranormal Activity movies, which I mean, Paranormal Activity first one, I don't think it's a very good movie. I think this is infinitely superior to Paranormal Activity, despite the fact that this is um a bit haphazard, a bit rough. But I think it commits a bit more. I think Paranormal Activity wants to feel like a real life documentary almost, but it doesn't have the compunction to actually go for distance. I think this also feels very late 90s, you know? These um, character art types. Although, I mean, that's the other thing, really. I feel like Blair Witch Project and Matrix were two of the first movies to really embrace that, you know, you need an instruction manual way of making movies. Video games have been doing that for years. You'll get, or have been doing that for years, where the manual would... You need to read manual to understand how play a game and what certain elements of the game were. 
Movies tried to avoid that. He tried to be a singular experience. But then when Matrix and Blair Witch Project came out, they were sort of like, no, no, you need to know this to understand this. And at the time, I wasn't big on the internet. So I saw Blair Witch, I was like, it's fine, it's okay. You know, but a lot of the backstory which takes the movie game prevalence isn't actually in the movie. It's online. You have to almost search it out. And at the time of Magic, it's quite fascinating for people. It's quite a novelty. And something I actually liked about um, Southland Tales, which, by the way, Southland Tales is not a very good movie, but it's a fascinating experience to to have been there at the time because you had, like, Southland Tales, you had graphic novels, you had all the interviews, and when you pass all those together, they still make a goddamn bit of sense, but it makes slightly more sense than it would if you had known them. So lots of elements of that movie which are distinctly require an instruction manual. This crazy one talking about Jesus. I do like the theory that um, Josh and the other guy, and certainly Josh is one of the characters in my Screen 5 script, so yay! Which I will be going back to by the way, I just thought I'd do something different. It's Bank Holiday Monday and I was looking for my options this week and I thought, hey, why don't we continue the Mabel storyline a bit, you know? It that sort of run its course a bit, but you know, it's stories, stories. This dark coke is amazing. So they're going driving. You know, it's not really fascinating as it was in once upon a time Hollywood, but it's still driving. Things I do for this podcast. I don't think people realise how difficult a country like this is. You gotta keep people reasonably immersed, and you gotta lessen the dead time, dead air as much as possible, and just genuinely say say stuff. It's not even interesting stuff; it's just stuff. But that's one of the things I like about doing this podcast and scripting and all of that is that it has to be done. And I think lots of times people second guess shit like this. They're like, "Oh no, I can't say that. Oh no, I can't do this." It's like, look. It's not always going to be gold. Sometimes it's actually going to be a case of let's get to 80 minutes and when we get to 80 minutes we'll be ecstatic and we'll feel a sense of accomplishment. Which I do, you know. I get to 80 minutes I'm like, oh shit, you know. That's amazing. Which is. I mean, like, this is, again, it's an easy do. There's dude bro with a mullet drinking beer and or brandy and he's like yeah yeah you want some and she's like no and he's sort of like take it she's like no 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 she won't take it she's not gonna take it dude and now she's taking it how how intriguing she's sipping alcohol and that I, I it's one thing that's also fascinating about this movie I'm getting the impression that these actors liked each other very much which is intriguing, because you get the impression they'd be cast because they'd get on. But I wonder how much of that was the director poking at them trying to get authentic reactions. Directors, even. It's something that's a bit different about VHS. I feel all the other movies that have done found footage have had, like, really experienced actors and, you know, things like that. And this is the only one which really committed to having aspiring actors. You know, people give good performances, but not people hamstrung by having to make certain acting choices or things like that. It's more organic in a way, you know? Where it's like, we're going to allow you 
to co-write and co-direct this movie with us. And actually, that's something that does bother me a bit because I get the impression that they should have had more credit than they did. I can't understand why they didn't because you know, they won't make this feel like an actual documentary. And now these two two dudes talking about coughing rock and shit. And I, I like the term coughing rock. You know, that's a very, very writer, very writery term. You know, coughing rock. You know, it's that use of colloquial, not even colloquial, use of like, I don't know, allegorical writing, I guess. You know, you're finding best way to describe something. Goes back to um, Don Darko when she was talking about cellar door. It's a combination of words, you know, literary, a very literary sense. I can't really explain it, but it's something that you do a fair bit while writing. You find what you want to say and then try and figure out what the most interesting way to say it is. And something like coughing rock is actually quite interesting. And now they try and go these two fishermen, these two hillbillies. In fact, these two are more, these two are probably young ones have these like background ones who are proper actors because they're delivering love exposition and shit like that. And you gotta have uh, relatively esteemed actors to do that. Or people more serious about craft and just, you know, mum holding her kid and the little kid's like, ah. They're driving and we're back to black and white. I really did wish it commit. I I think this movie would be a lot better if it's completely shot in black and white. I think shift of colour. I think also the age nature of the colour, it dates it quite heavily. And I think going in black and white make it more existent. Because the black and white still looks gorgeous in this movie. Really effective. But the colour stuff looks shit. And and I get maybe that's point to age movie a bit. But it, it, to me, it just feels... It drags the movie down a long way. I think it's akin to, like, The Mist, which was um, the original goal by... Um, Frank Darabont was shooting black and white like an old-style horror movie. You know, classical horror movie. And I feel like this being shot in black and white... I, I don't know, it just... Uh, again, I get it's meant to lived in, but... I, I just feel like none of the colours pop, none of the stuff really pops out. And there's no real need for it being colours. Nothing we need to know that can be discovered in black and white, for example. Also raised a question why they would take black and white cameras, um, black and white and colour camera each on this expedition. That doesn't really make any sense. That'd be a waste of money. Unless that's meant to convey that they're not particularly with it in terms of journalism or documentary making or filmmaking in general and that they're just sort of winning it as much as they can which I kind of like in some ways but in other ways I feel that's a bit of a cheat and now we get um, Heather Ring from Dire Entries that's quite a clever thing actually to have them um, by their real names to an extent or real first names at least because I imagine it made it a lot better for connecting scenes and editing stuff like that. You didn't have to worry about characters blurring tape by saying Heather, by saying John instead of Jason or whatever, you know. It's very, very legit way of doing it where, you know, you, yeah, won't worry about actors blurring the tape, sorry. And they're talking about leaves and shit. Again, it should have just been black and white. 
Yeah, don't see ghost hunting, yeah? See ghost hunting. <laughs> <laughs> Blair Witch. I always did, to be honest, because these, these assholes invade. Let's think about this movie. Is the Blair Witch wrong? And by is Blair Witch, if the Blair Witch exists, which this movie kind of um, plays with a bit, is the Blair Witch wrong for what she does in this movie if she's real? I don't think she is, and I'll say the reason why. These kids have heard the myth of what happens in woods. From townsfolk. A very convincing myths. They've seen shit. They've seen shit and they've heard shit. And now they're going to the woods with no idea where they're going or what plan is, except for we're going to record stuff. Because the native recording means they have to have some, on some level, they have to have some idea of this might be real. Because if they believe it's complete fake, why record documentary? Oh, you yeah. know? It's just, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you have they have to have an idea this is real, otherwise why we've got a documentary. I mean, you can say they want to, you know, they want to make a uh, mocking documentary about and all of that. But from parts we see, they're very honest about making this documentary. There's some idea of some parts of this are real. So if some parts of it are real, and that's their attitude regarding this, then why the fuck... Do they go in so half-arsed into the woods, you know, with like three people? And I get they go in three people because that's all the guys that make movie could afford, but you catch my point, right? It's it's this idea of you are going into the woods knowing that parts of this story might be real and that there might be a creepy as fuck ghost switch hybrid, you know? Uh, who may who is responsible for bad shit and kids dying and all of that? And you're going in the woods to antagonise this witch, knowing she has home field advantage. Like it's it just seems the equivalent of like, hey man, we think that guy next door. We think like, imagine like a, a, in the city version of this, like where you see down roads of like, oh man, that 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 old man red heron, you know. It's rumours he murdered, murdered, murdered a mayor in his basement and murdered a prostitute in his bedroom. We're going to go into his house because he's out. We're going to go into his house and see what's what. Like, you break into his house and he comes back and he's broken into his house. By American law, you know, your life's forfeit. You know, like, so they did the same thing here. They broke into Blair Witch's woods and it's sort of like, you know, as far as, as, far as American law goes, she's just fighting where she does them, you know? And the, the arguments feel real because they are real, you know? It's, this incidentally, I never want to go fucking... I hate camping. I, I vaguely remember going a couple of times. I fucking hate it. Look, when you're, when you're a young adult, 
or late teens, early 20s, that sort of thing. Do shit like this is amazing. It's got all the engine ways and it's great and it's fun getting to see outdoors. But you get older, it's like, you got money, just buy a, get a fucking room somewhere. Airbnb that shit, I'm fucking, no, don't go camping. You know, it's sort of like, hey, we want to experience nature. It's like, look, you don't experience nature. People who go camping have tents. That's not experiencing nature, you know? They take as many, many forms of technology as they can, like ting openers and shit like that. That's not experiencing nature. You really want to experience nature, just go into the fucking woods with as little as possible and go to sleep under a tree. And if you're still alive in the morning, you've experienced nature. But if you're going out, you're going in caravan or tent or some shit like that, congratulations you're not experiencing nature you're being a nature hipster you're not a nature boy you're a nature hipster no you're not experiencing life like people used to and that's a stupid thing i hate too like this idea of oh we're going to experience life like they used to in the old days bullshit you are they didn't have a fucking choice you think half those people want to sleep in a fucking tent in the middle of nowhere no they would love to have had a fucking flat or a fucking hotel room or some shit like that. These motherfuckers were walking from town to town. Had to stop. Had to stay wherever they could. It's like Red Dead Redemption. Thinking, you think those fuckers want me to stay in a shanty town in fucking middle nowhere on the edge of war? No, they were fucking love like fucking uh, flat. You know, like. They, they, stay, they stay together having necessity. They didn't fucking want to. Instead, I'm, I'm related. I really want to play Red Dead Redemption later on. I love that. Like Red Dead Redemption 2. I love that game, but I haven't had time for a long time. Also, I haven't had time to stream for a long time, which is annoying. You know, life gets busy, guys. It really does. Um, Christ. I don't even know if I've got any fucking free time this week. It's like this episode. You know, talks about Mabel and storyline side and all that. Me doing this is literally because this is the only fucking time I'll get this week to do it. And if I don't do this episode today, I wouldn't get a chance, you know? I had other ideas for this episode. I really did. But this was just all I had fucking time for. Like, these commentary ones, don't get me wrong, I enjoy doing it because they're very rewarding. I mainly do them because, you know... If you sit down and watch a movie and then have to talk about movie and then add other elements to it, like, that's a long fucking time. And I, that is the ideal for what I do. But, for example, I've had a fucking amazing... Like, I had Saturday, Sunday and Monday off. You know, that's fucking amazing. I don't usually get that. So, Saturday and Sunday, I just chewed the fuck out and it was epic. So relaxing. I'm so chew that out i don't sound it but i'm very happy i'm happy guys you know there's no oranges here trust me but it's like you you get to enjoy that and that's lovely but then you have to make podcasts for the friday and i i know i know it's not most popular podcast on planet you know a lot of um <laughs> a lot of much worse ones get a lot more viewers you know but i'm not angry you know i i i I, I do this for me and anyone who fucking listens. Like, no one has to listen to shit. Like, I mean, I got a job that pays my rent, all that shit. This is for fun. You know, like, I, I do this because I enjoy it because it's a challenge. But 
anything any success I get from this is fucking gravy you know it's crazy anyway they're all sat in a tent like a bunch of assholes who would oh not even not even my fucking best friends people fucking the people I consider above me in terms of life you know where you get friends are your equals your best friends fucking people you aspire to not even with them I go camping Oh no, they found rocks and twigs. Oh shit. Mabel, this is this is conclude how do you not believe this is real? Look at the change in fucking colour to black and white, you know? This wasn't edited, this was just released. That's nothing. That's the only thing that annoys me, really annoys about fan first movies, and annoyed me about paranormal activity. Where the implication they had was this movie was patched together and edited by professional movie makers. It's like look you can present this as real, but don't take the piss. I think when you're implying that someone sat through hundreds of hours of this and edited it together into a fully feature-length movie, that's when I call bullshit. That would never happen, you know? That would never fucking happen. I know documentaries are made all the time and shit like that, but... They would never take, if some kids disappeared in woods, in real life, they would never fucking edit their fucking video footage together and release it as a mainstream, big budget, not big budget, but mainstream movie to cinemas, like mass cinemas. Like, you'd never get released in 4,000 cinemas opening weekend. You wouldn't do it. Most of you would get something like David Finch's Zodiac, where it was fucking... Big budget, all action star cast, cut into as real the story as possible. Although that's based on Robert Graysmith's book, which, incidentally, the Robert Graysmith book on Zodiac is fucking amazing. It's so good. It's probably mostly bullshit, and at points it's downright libel. No, no, downright slander, but I mean, libel slander. Which one? I think it's libel, actually. In print, it's libel. But, yeah, you, you, it's like... It's still a fascinating thing. Instantly, and, and I know it's probably go against Gren, I'd love to see a fucking big-budget remake of Blair Witch Project. I would. I, I, I would, and I would. I really would. And I know people will say, but that's bullshit, because you are... You would be missing out on these... these realism for acting I'm like fuck that shit I want Tom Cruise I want fucking Tom Cruise to fucking play one of these characters I want fucking Emma Stone to play Heather I just want Emma Stone to play Heather and I want fucking I don't know fucking Bra- fucking Seth Rogen to play the, the other guy who's not Josh you know I want that fucking movie like I fucking love that it just improvises all shit you know improvises insults to each other That'd be great. That that'd be an awful movie, but I mean, like, I I I don't hate the American remakes of some of these movies. I don't think they're very good, but I think they're fascinating because these originals. Obviously, this was an American movie, but I fucking love a remake of this. Like, you fucking re-release Paranormal Activity with fucking Seth Rogen and Jesus Christ, Tiffany Haydish. That'd be amazing. Like, I, I'd love that movie. Just have them improvise in nine minutes or fucking throw water at them or some shit. 
Even frame it within movie. <laughs> fucking DreamWorks brought rights to Paranormal Activity. And they're like, we want to make fucking Seth Rogen and Tiffany Hayes. We want to make them a thing, you know? I mean, that's the other thing gets back to movie. Like, I, I, I understand why they try and make these, this shit feel as real as possible. I mean, I get it. But here's what. Sorry, I'm going to lie backwards. I'm going to move pillows. And here's what aggravates me. Here's what really aggravates me. It's just the nature of these people. Like, they're all likeable. And I don't subscribe to fearing that you need to make, like, characters in movies likeable. You know, they can be unlikable. But you got to relate to part of them. You know, it's like fucking Jake Lamar in Raging Bull. It's gigantic piece of shit, and at no point we, <clears throat> at no point we meant to root for him, but at the same time, it's like f most people can relate to that ang- uh, anger, you know, that frustration. Indeed, since like the the rise of mental health movement and stuff like that, you watch a lot of these movies and hear really about a lot of these people and realize that they had a lot of problems, and maybe if they diagnosed them in their life, you know, they could sort this shit out. But these ones, I'll oh, show up, you asshole. It's fucking bullshit. It's fucking bullshit. See that fucking Kenya Omega level acting there? Kenya Omega's a wrestler, by the way. A lot of wrestlers are not very good actors, despite themselves. It might be called performance art, but it doesn't mean that a lot of them performance artists. These, um... These characters, I mean, it's sort of weird, like, isn't enough strike against the idea of movie being realistic, being good thing. This is how people would actually act in a movie, in in real life. Like, you would get into arguments like this, which were half-formed, and there wasn't a lot of clear-cut, quotable dialogue and stuff like that, and that's fine. But, I don't know, like, I... I look back at something like Yetsis, and Yetsis feels very real, very gritty and lifting, but at the same time, it's still clearly a movie. It's just such a fascinatingly made and written active movie that almost transcends the genre. I don't think this transcends the genre, you know? I think you may say it transcends the found footage subgenre, but I just feel like it's. It's hard to explain, really, but. I feel like his ambition over overrides its reach, if that makes any sense. Hey, I feel sorry. Sorry. I don't know, maybe it's one of those chats in Sigma to really appreciate it, although I think elements of it should be appreciated you know, in general. I would say if you grade on curve, it's definitely up there for the best fan movies. Um, because of its nature and how influential it was at kicking horror up the ass because Scream had come out in 96 and Scream was a phenomenal horror movie in every possible regard but people forget I think those couple years after Scream it was already starting to go back to shit fucking Scream 2 was really bad and here's what I find about Scream movies which fascinates me the first movie all the accounts behind the scenes were in that Weinstein Brothers, particularly um, 
Oh, what's the arsehole one? Not Harvey, the other one. Oh, I can't remember his name. He is a, he is a Brit too. The other Weinstein brother, you know, it's fucking Larry. Larry? Fuck, I don't know. The other Weinstein brother, whoever the fuck's name was, he was an asshole behind the scenes to Wes Graven while making that movie and a bully. But at the same time, they backed off a bit, but went made money and they dragged in another writer and shit like that. They don't, like, here's what bugs, really bugs me about Scream. They don't seem to understand simple truth. That movie works because of Kevin Williamson's script. That that's primarily it, you know. That is a fucking flawless script, flawless. Like Effingers brings something to the table, but that is legitimately, for my money, the best screenplay to any horror movie ever. And I'm completely insisting that it is an unbelievable script, an amazing who done it. And yes, everyone added to it, like Matthew Lillard added to. To Stu's character, and everyone had bits and pieces, but core of the script, the tension building, all of that, amazing perfection. And then they proceed to fuck with script for the next three fucking movies, where they keep bringing people in to rewrite Kevin Williamson, despite the fact that he's the guy who wrote the fucking first movie and understands what fucking universe is. You know, like I'm writing Screen Five for fun and for this podcast and I'm writing my own version of it it is not I'm not even trying to do a Kevin Williamson script because there's no point he is a brilliant brilliant writer but that's more my point like it's such a good script and when you watch something like this and it feels very freewheeling all of that but it feels freewheeling in a way it was different stuff like Once Upon a Time Hollywood where that feels like Kevin Quentin Tarantino's always got his hand on wheel and knows exactly what he's doing. And while it's going, taking a long way to get to where it's going, is getting there, you know, in the most interesting way possible. I don't get the impression this is particularly. This is a movie which feels very much, in a nice, in somewhat nice way, say it feels quite shambolic. It feels like very earnest, very matter of fact, very guided by editing. You know, but again, without that bat story, I don't think this holds up, and I don't think it's much of anything, to be honest. But maybe that's what adds to the real aspect of it. Oh, now they're shouting Heather, and that's also the other point. Like, I, I, I get what they're going for, but the constant abuse of Heather, like verbal abuse of Heather. Feels really fucking uncomfortable nowadays. Really creepy. Really creepy. Like the the fear. There's this guy online called Film Theory who does the um theories and movies, and he did one where he presented that two guys their plan all along was to get Heather into woods and murder, which I think is valid. But I don't think that's what they're going for. I just think that's how it comes across. And it is really fucking creepy. Which ties into the Weinstein brothers. Because they do really fucking creepy human beings. Where, you know, he just stopping think how guy, something like Kevin Smith or even Tantino. How much bigger they'd be about the fucking Weinstein brothers. You just look at Once Upon a Time Hollywood. And Tantino's had an amazing career. But you look at Once Upon a Time Hollywood. That man is fucking rejuvenated. By not 
working for the Weinstein brothers anymore, you know? That, like, he made his best movie about them. And if it were like Kevin Smith, I really wish he would have taken up a chance to um, really head down the Hollywood um, path, you know, making shit. I mean, his script for Superman Lives is really, really good. And, like, when he was young, hungry for writing and loved the process proper, man, like, like he, he was going to make Green Hornet and then he didn't. It's like, dude, like... You know, like, maybe we're failed, but I think life, the whole concept is do what... You make the choices you can. You go and live with choices you make, even if you don't understand them. But at the same time, if you're capable of leaping out, leap out. Fucking try, you know? Don't sink down to the depths and just do what you always did, you know? You know these assholes are lying down. I'm going to lie down too. I'm going to lie down, I'm going to go on my iPad, I'm going to... Oh no, talking about maps and creeks and shit. I don't understand drugs at this move, by the way, which I, I guess is sort of the point, but... Oh, now they they realise that they're lost and they've gone missing. Took them a fucking long time to realise that. I'm going to have enough dark coat, actually. Back. I'm back. I hope you didn't miss me too much, you know. God, do piss in woods now. Well, you shouldn't miss me at all. If you've got this movie playing, then you'll be rapturously entertained, surely, by a man pissing into wood. Pissing in water. And remember, the map's gone missing. That's a plot point that'll be brought up later on, surely. This is quite chilling, actually. What a fascinating thing to see and watch. It's a good love life sometimes. <laughs> this is an amazing dark coat, too. See, it's one thing. These two laughing. I always love weight, like innocuous improv can be shaped you know it's always fascinating when like just random improv can be shaped into a theory or something like that because these guys at this point I get the impression they're just fed up being in woods but translates as being fed up Heather and all of that there's these guys still laughing and it's fascinating, really fascinating that real life tension between the actors have come out in the movie. Quite an effective, like, um, storyline beat of sorts. Yeah, a lot of these actors reshaped a lot of what happens in this movie. And I get, in some ways, that's a good thing. But in other ways, it's frustrating.
And now he's finding out he's kicked the map into the creek. And now we're getting into this argument. And you have to wonder, was this argument real or not? Like, because it was really just them out of nowhere for a large proportion of this movie. And that must have been quite terrifying, I think. I mean, I, I, I'm, especially in this day and age with so many people who suffer from anxiety, and I'm not much better. I'd be fucking petrified if I was in the wood and I was lost. I, I was on fucking, there's this place in um, Abris with Constitution here. And I was up there once, and I was fucking lost, and it's pitch black, and I was freaking the fuck out, you know? And that's somewhere being a lot, a lot of times, you know? But imagine being somewhere you've never been before, and being lost, it'd be shit. I'd be scared shitless, you know? It's mm. amazing drink. Every arguing now. They're like, oh, where's the map? He's like, no, no, no. This, this is a good indication for not being real, but feeling real. Because, you know, stuff like losing map. In the Hollywood movie, that would be a very minor scene. It's a certain bit of character conflict. In this movie, it's literally not only the whole source of conflict from this point forward, but it's a point of no return. Even though this isn't a tightly structured movie, that's clearly point of no return. And at the same time, it's a crucial cat scene. And also something which some guy took online and made a whole fear about and encapsulates and reworks and reconstructs the entire nature of the movie. Re Rebeats it in terms of lack of parlance. But, you know, if you can find stuff like that and it reshapes that entire movie, it's what they, um, this writer named William Goldman said once, where he said, um, if in real life a farmer who is told by a superior to leave a burning building, hears a noise on the fourth floor, runs up, kicks the door open, grabs the kid, runs out with the kid outside, that's one of the most heroic things you can ever imagine. But movie, that's like the first five minutes of Arnold Schwarzenegger's movie. Like, there's nothing special about it. But you you know what I mean, where it's like, but in real life, it's not. When, when movie logic, losing map sucks, but it's not a deal breaker in real life, that's fucking terrifying. You know, and all this talk of symbols and shit like that. Losing map is probably the thing most people would draw upon in this movie for being a horror movie. Because if you're in the middle of nowhere and you lose your map and you can't get signal and you don't know where the fuck you are, Jesus Christ, that's fucking. Like for me, my biggest, the thing I hate, the thing that really gets me is like fucking Virgo. I'm really high up. I freak the fuck out. I watch, um, if I watch a Mission Impossible movie and Tom Cruise, Ethan Hunt, is climbed to the top of the way to Taurus Building and he's hanging off the side, I'm freaking fuck out. I, I feel, like, I feel dizzy when I see shit like that. You know? Like, so that's why I don't watch Alfred Hitchcock's Virgo very often, but it's these real life, mon somewhat mundane fears which get you. Not finding a bunch of twi twids and shit. Okay, I've got a 
Oh, bunch of twits. Twiggy twit twit twits. Twiggy twit 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 twiggy twit 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 twit. Are you leaving? Are you Heather? You're leaving? Okay, yep, you're leaving. Okay. Heather, I bought, I bought. Now they're screaming impotently. I think they're talking to directors at this point. They're just pissed off. They're sick. They're upset. Just one go home. Oh, these guys. I wonder what I'm going to have for lunch today. Oh, shit. You see Jay Cops already over. Fucking hell. I'm really behind the New Japan Pro Wrestling. It's an amazing drink. Oh, now it's pitch black. <laughs> and now you wake up at night. So here's, here's a question for you guys. Um, does the lack of romance make it more or less real to you? I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating, right? I mean, on one hand, there's no shoehorn romance subplot. I think they were originally going to have that, but decided not to. But on the other hand, two guys in woods in 1999 with, with a woman, one woman. You know, not, not necessarily I think that all Americans are into that sort of thing, but, I mean, was it ever raised? Were they that respectful of her? I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not... I'm not saying, like, it's something that should be in the movie. I'm saying, is it utterly realistic? Did, I mean, they clearly didn't get on Heather at all, you know? Um, but, I don't know, it's just weird. Like, it just seems to me like, if you go for something which was more real, I don't know whether that might be something you'd include. I mean, Hollywood version there. That two of these people absolutely fuck. It might be, two, it might be one of the guys in Heather. Might be the other guy of Heather. Might be two guys. No, I'm not judging. This movie also plays on what you don't see as much as what you do see, which is quite movie-like because movies, you know, that corner frame could be the most terrifying thing. You, it's, I think. The, the thing that, to me, underscores that I don't love this movie, I respect it, but I don't love it, is the lack of, like, really fascinating visuals. I get what it's going for, but I don't think there's anything to latch on to. It's in character stuff. Their attempt for some real mise-en-scene, to me, backfires to a degree, because there's nothing to latch on to. It's like, it, here's the thing, it's like they're going so much to make something, which I don't think that's their intent, they just want their horror movie, but it, it, I get the impression that it's aspiring to be more than it is, if that makes any sense. I'm not really, I, I, I just prefer hyper-realism, you know, I, I don't mind realism, 
But I, I personally, I prefer. So I don't mind Kevin Smith movies or Tarantino movies don't sound like people talk because the way people talk is one. Inch, well, actually, that's the thing. They claim that, but fucking, they're like, my entire manner and way I speak and way I act is fucking influenced by TV. You know? So let's not act like TV or movies don't influence people and how they speak and how they act. Because so, my fucking inflections and things like that, I fucking grew up watching, like, it was terrible American sitcoms and good ones, you know, stuff like Seinfeld and um, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and Saved by Bell and Hand Time and California Dreams and USA High and fucking shit like that. So I, I grew up very American-based in terms of that, and that's actually something I got... um complained about when I was doing writing online because it's sort of like you don't sound very English you, you're writing and where you write isn't very English and sort of like no shit because fucking what was I going to do watch fucking Biker Grove like why the fuck and that's your thing like I, I the reason I cite out so many horror movies and watch so many horror movies and shit like that and so much fancy horror is because fucking when I watch, like, movies, I don't want to watch... I have no desire to watch stuff that's that English or necessary stuff which is, you know... Or, or especially when I was younger. I mean, you watch. I watch stuff like In Between Us Now and I'll laugh because that's very much like my, when most people in Britain's teen years. Very authentic. But, you know, who wants to watch fucking miserable fucking shit like... Biker Grove or fucking EastEnders or bollocks like that, you know? Not that EastEnders is real, but fucking. If you live in England, you met a lot of fucking people like characters in that show. Like. So I always prefer American based stuff, and the weirder better, to be honest, you know? It's escapism. And this is escapism of a sort, but. To me, it, it it feels the the realistic nature of the some of the elements of the movie. I don't feel particularly entertained by. It's something I found with like the U UK Office, you know, and even US one. It's this nature of cringe comedy or cringe cinema. I don't find that entertaining. I respect it. I think it's definitely art, but I always take something which is a bit slightly broader, you know. Like, fucking imagine a fucking British superhero movie. Like, you get Iron Man in America. Would it be here a fucking Chav on Council State? Like, even when I was writing a webcomic called um, Based on British Superhero, I was like, I'm still very Americanized, you know? Because I don't fucking. I don't identify with the stupid idea of Brits where it's sort of like, you know, cuff tea, cuff tea, crumpet, bullshit like that. You no, know, some guys like Guy Ritchie have snatched a really good job encapsulating uh, more Americanized version of British cinema, but I'm sure they did too. But most of it's fucking boring ass shit. So I mean, fuck, like I'll criticize this movie, but you see how many fucking awful British horror movies have been made here? They're, most of them are fucking shit. They're really fucking bad. Like, I I don't want to be cruel to anyone, but our British horror industry. Some of it's fucking woeful. Like, fucking, what's that shitty one I saw of the dude from a fucking 
the Hobbit, Aiden, whatever his name was, it's fucking rubbish. It's about this woman who people kept breaking into her house and just kept screaming all the time. It's shit. Like, you watch shit like that, and then watch stuff the Americans do, like, even fucking VHS, which is so much better. But I think the problem for that is you know, a lot of our British directors, they get big here and then they go to America. And you can't really blame them because, I mean, fucking Shaun of the Dead, Simon Begging Wolf, those clearly more Americanized sensibilities. They'll make movies with British themes and themology, but they're more influenced by American than fucking Britain. Our movie industry fucking sucks. Our movie industry is basically people make it here and then they fuck off to America. And really, like, I was just saying, I'm blaming I'd do it. Fucking, when, uh, would I? I don't know. I think I'd probably hang around and just make Americanized British movies, but. Like, I, I, really, I can't stress it enough. I don't. anyone ever asks why I don't review some of British movies on podcasts, is I don't give a fuck, to be honest. I really don't give a fuck. I'd rather watch this. And I don't even like this very much, but it's like write what you know. Well, I, we're, I think a lot of people know Americanized horror movies, and British ones are usually shit and boring and up during ass and no sense of life to them. And you think like, it's not like Americans have like a fucking pass on writing quotable dialogue and shit. It's just they they don't in in trying to get a british identity for horror movies a specific british identity for horror people forget to be entertaining it's like i mean like for example i watched i watched eden lake and i i roughly enjoyed that it's watchable but it was ludicrously over the top and that's fine that's what you have to do in horror but I, I get the impression that a lot of British horror move makers don't have the funds or the technology to actually do it properly. I mean, fucking imagine Evil Dead in Britain. It'd be shit. It'd be fucking woeful. But in America, they, they kick up the arse and they give it some life. And now Heather's being recorded and she's like, I don't want to be recorded. And this is fucking, to quote wrestling fans, this is a shoot. You know? She, she seriously looks like, I will not be on fucking camera. You know, she looks really pissed off. These two guys are arseholes. Like, Heather's not especially likeable, but they are really... Those two guys are both douchebags. She looks seriously pissed off. Would have been better in black and white. Oh, it's Josh Stratton by this point. I guess he's dead. I I, I really think in rewatch this movie, I relate so much more heaven than these other two guys. Fucking hell, they are just complete douchebags in every possible way. What fucking... Complete arseholes. This guy is such a dickhead. What an arsehole. Seriously. This is actually a form of abuse. Like, this is pro... This isn't make movie. This is proper fucking... This is proper fucking harsh on so many levels. Like, don't... Guys, if you're making a movie, don't do this. Don't do this to your female lead. 
you know even in concepts of we want to make the most powerful scene possible don't be this guy this is fucking this isn't nice this really isn't very nice you know? this is just really fucking horrible and this is actually one of the things that I, it's a broader spectrum of horror that irritates me but I think the treatment of female characters and actresses in horror movies I think it's fucking shameful it really is and the way I'll point to that is you look at Sidney Prescott in Scream, Nev Campbell who firstly the amount of hatred she gets for being unable to act even in serious literary books is fucking horrific it's so nasty it's so nasty and when you watch the Scream movies like the first one, great job for Captain Wolf. The rest of them are fucking awful in terms of what in Sydney. Like they don't give her anything to fucking do. She's constantly portrayed as a victim, right up to the last one. In the first one, she's given a lot to do. In the other, she's fucking portrayed as this victim. She's bossed around all that shit. And it's one thing when I was fucking when I'm writing my one, I was like. No, I'm not going to do that. I, I literally thought the only way you can continue to make screen movies, really continue to make them, and like I want to actually go and talk about last Halloween movie because while I think that's really good, they did a really good job. Jesus Christ, like the whole like fucking Laurie Strokes crazy thing really strikes me the long the wrong way. You know, I found that quite uncomfortable, and and I get what they were going for, but you no, know, it's like I I just feel like there's better things to do than that. There's better ways for the cat to go down than that. And again, yeah, it's one of the things I'm working on in um the screen five script. How I plan to do the um. The Sydney thing in my one was to go to the um, Colour of Money route. And if you've seen Colour of Money, it's obviously Paul Newman plays Edward Fast Eddie based on um, earlier movie called Hustler. Newman reprising the role from the Hustler 25 years later. So I was going to go flat. And that annoys me because I don't think lots of people put much thought into female characters anymore. You know, it's sort of like very much, you know, fuck it, let's get this horror icon back and just have them do the same thing. Slightly different thing they did before. It's sort of like give people something fucking work with, you know? Oh, Josh has finally disappeared at this point. I thought he'd already disappeared. My well, fuck it. Heather's screaming. I... Oh, she's actually really fucking good in this movie. I don't know how much of it is acting per se. But it goes back to the point I was making earlier where these are far more props to this movie. Because the directors were like, hey, we, we direct, co-wrote and directed it. And it's all like, you know, the actors directed it. You guys were fucking on the sidelines sending them notes and shit. These actors were come doing their own fucking performances, you know. I mean, be honest, like I know they couldn't, but... She should be, these three should have been fucking credited as co-directors and co-writers, not a fucking, I mean, it's telling, you look at the directors and writers and what their career went to, you know, like, 
it's very telling they didn't get any other work <clears throat> just gonna say that no because I there's just no way they could translate into a scripted environment after working on something like this they just they weren't traditional writers and directors they got cast to do most of the work you know and it, this is the point where if this was like fucking written a lot of this Josh Josh Leo dialogue would be cut out or hopefully not always the case I do like how the movie doesn't sexualise Heather. I, I find that um, was very progressive in 1999. No. She, I really do think she does an amazing job in this movie. I think she plays a very great and unlikable character, but the actual acting of all three, I, I acting somewhat in quotation marks, but they all do a really good job. I mean, it's not an easy thing to do. You're going out in the middle of nowhere. You're basically fucking told, make up, fucking horror movie narrative and will throw sticks at you occasionally they I, I i don't have much time for these the two directors i think the editing was they doing this was amazing but actual directing and writing i think it's just woeful to be honest i think that, yeah i i it's not hard to imagine why they didn't get more work after this So I don't. What's there left to say about this movie? Like, I mean, it's just. It just feels lifting and organic and all of that, but it's not. I, I really don't think this holds up as well as it did back in the day. I know a lot of people say yeah, but cinema doesn't in general, but I disagree. I, it might not have the immediate impact, but. Fucking something like Event Horizon, Event Horizon and Yet Sist, they hold up, you know. Generally good movies, they they hold up. And think this, especially after the other two, I think the reason that's fallen down so much is because you know, it was raised so high. I I think it'll be fondly remembered by people who saw it on the opening cinema, but rest of us, you know. and also people, I think this is probably really really it's two types of audience i think for this movie i think people who don't watch a lot of horror movies probably being fucking kicked sideways by it i love people who didn't watch a lot of sci-fi or tv shows were kicked sideways by inception and at the same time i think really hardcore horror fans who saw this opening night in cinemas think those two have been blown away i wasn't either of them at the time i'm really getting to horror to later on but it's definitely got place. Um, why am I talking like movies over? It's not even over yet. They're still pissing around woods. But it's definitely got place in Sigma history. You know. Oh, yeah, I meant to be doing the storyline for Mabel. Um, yeah, no, I don't. This, this, is this real? I don't fucking know. I mean, maybe, maybe not. It feels real, though. You can see why someone would think this was real if they weren't particularly way versed in Sigma. And didn't work on a fucking horror podcast. I mean, come on, Mabel. Seriously, you know, don't don't be like Heather, Mabel. Don't be like Heather. I love dark oak with fruit. This is my favourite drink. I hope dentist is in this. 
Oh, let's do fuck about in the woods and camera. I don't even know if the movie stopped. It's just gone black. Like, what the fuck is going on? No, apparently it hasn't stopped. We got like 10 minutes left or whatever. 16 minutes left and he's still like, turn the light out, let me sleep. That must be terrifying though. Imagine having sleep in woods to make moving woods for two guys you barely know. You know, actually, yeah, that's fucking. This one, Heather in real life has fucking balls of stone because, Jesus Christ, be terrifying. Oh, look, they found fabric. Oh, no. Oh, no, but. Is that barbed wire or is it? Oh, no, it's bits of fabric connected to a twig. And they're like, oh, no. I, I, the theory that this was caused by a bunch of mischievous cult members. I think someone's saying there's a deleted scene where the um they mention some cult people in town that like to keep up the act of Blair Witch and all of that. Maybe it's not even deleted. I can't I remember seeing it in one version of the movie but I can't remember it at the moment. The the idea of Josh and this other guy and Mike, Josh and Mike I think, being killers, that's a really cool idea actually. I think it's true, but it's a really good theory. And you should follow Film Theory Guy on um in YouTube by the way. Seriously, it's so good. That he's actually the reason why I'm trying to write Screen Five for this podcast because I don't know, it's it's just I, I I found his videos fascinating and then I was like, why not fucking do it? Like I always say I want to re do a reboot of sorts to one of these horror movies and I figured why not now? You know? I, I I love writing. Writing is just for me. This podcast is fun because it's difficult to talk a lot about movies like this and talk for eighty minutes consecutively. And oh no, they found some more shit in fabric. And oh no, oh no, there's blood and there's blood in his finger. Oh no. This movie. I I would say this movie's quite effective for pacing out like the um shot sequences not jump scares but but the um it parcels out the um horrific scenes quite nicely so never bombarded it too many at once so in that regard it's quite effective but then you think how many hours of footage they shot that they wouldn't use because it's pointless because it's a very freewheeling structure. And they lucked into a lot of this shit. I'd say lucked in. I mean it's. Effective manipulation by the actual directors of the movie. Like the core of the character stuff. And the core of the movie is shot by these guys. Completely on their own. And directors will occasionally throw little bits and pieces into mitts. I think it's an interesting way to make a movie. I don't think it's a sustainable way for a long form movie making but again she's really good in this movie she's just incredible performance like to me Heather saves the movie and she got a lot of shit back in the day but when you actually think what she's doing she's pretty much the main director and main person driving this story forward and character choices and all all that like she's weaponizing her real life frustrations 
into making this movie. And and it's one thing that annoys me. It's like their attempts to make this real, it in some ways pisses me off because it undermines how fucking good she is. And in fact, that she should have actually. And I'm I'm, I'm being fucking serious now. She should have been up for all sorts of awards, but couldn't because they wanted to make this seem real. And that really fucking annoys me on so many levels because she hasn't had that much of a career. And the reason she hasn't had that much of a career is stupid Is It Real Martin, which, yes, got movies make a lot of money. But once it's finished in cinemas, they should have fucking gone, oh, and here's the fucking reason this movie works as well as it did. Here's Heather. Here's a goddamn great actress who bust a fucking ass making our movie while we've sat in back and picked up fucking profit after profit and been praised as directors of the movie when we really were making her do most of the fucking work. You know? Now I'm going to go on fucking repeat and see what fucking state her career is in afterwards because... King arsehole. Like, it really pisses me off. Fucking so much so. You know, like... Hey, I was right. It was Mike and Josh. See what her career's been like since then. Years active, 1995, 2008. You fucking assholes. Seriously. She left acting in 2008. Well, that was good. Like, she's got... She's doing a good job, you know? Oh, she is nominated for Blockbuster Entertainment Award, Online Film Critics Society Award, and the Worst Actress at Stinkers Movie Award, and one insane category at Golden Raspberry Awards. Go fuck yourselves. Seriously, go fuck yourselves, Golden Raspberry Awards. Fucking douchebags. Fucking dickheads. Seriously, that really fucking annoys me. Like, you fuckers. Oh, she's in... It's always sung in Philadelphia. Wow, okay. No, no, that really fucking annoys me. How fucking dare you? Fucking Golden Raspberry Awards. Oh, it's the Razzies. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They're not hip anymore. They're really not hip. They never really were, to be honest. I, I have a book on them, but they're really not. I don't have much time for them, to be honest. I really don't have much time for things like that. It's just, oh, so irritating. Like, fucking Stanley Kubrick's nominated for a Razzie Award for Worst Director for The Shining, for fuck's sake. Seriously. That's so stupid. Like, oh, no, seriously. So irritating. I, 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 like, I, I, I get it's all in fun and all of that. And I'm very critical of stuff, but, like, like put it this way. I wouldn't say, I didn't like hereditary. But I would not say Ari Aster made a movie so bad he should get worst director of the year. I would not say that. I'd never say that. Because I think movies like this, 
should not be on worst list. You know, guy on Twitter the other day is talking about how he doesn't think Ian McGregor is a great actor, and he's talking about the Obi Wan fucking TV show on Disney Plus. And like, if you don't like his performance as Obi Wan, that's fine. You know, that's perfectly fine. I get it, but don't. Sorry, hang on a second. don't like sorry it's turning the fucking Alexa off Amazon calling all my Google calling all my shit you know from my podcast don't fucking record my podcast you goddamn asshole thing it's just yeah it just really annoys me so like to call this woman worst actress is a fucking travesty on so many levels but underscores how borderline sexist Hollywood is at times it's like, oh, she's playing an unlike, unlike, an unlikable character, you know. Oh no, she she's not likable. These guys are likable, you know. We won't nominate them for this award, you know. We'll nominate her because we don't like her. And we'll give her this award because she's rubbish, you know. Because she's a woman. It's like, go fuck yourself, seriously. She's the only thing that makes this movie borderline watchable. It's the only interesting thing about this movie. The only interesting thing this movie contributes to society. In fact. Her character is so interesting, she's literally driving forth behind Blair Witch. The sequel made 15, 16 years later or whatever. Which, don't get me started on that movie. You, I will get started on it eventually, but... Oh, so they found a house, you know, and Rustin Path house, although you don't find that out in this movie. In this movie, Concrete. And if you, um... You should definitely watch The Film Theory on Blair Witch... Because the geography of this scene is fascinating and how it um, plays with perceptions. And in fact, doesn't really make a lot of sense. And ties in for the feeling that Josh and Mike are actually going to murder Heather. You know, which is an interesting theory, but the um, obviously Blair Witch, the third one, contradicts that. Sorry. So. They do. Was this just a random house they found in woods? Because it's very convincing. I mean, this movie is convincing. Very, very messed up. Very painful. Very uncomfortable to watch. I think that's the horror movie you're into. This is like the perfect movie for you. I, I, again, I personally prefer a bit more escapism, you know. Although I didn't like the third one very much either. Yeah. And like, yes, it's the third one. This is a trilogy. I don't give a shit when one says. I'll make video at some point explaining how it's a trilogy. But, I mean, I can see how someone would think in some ways this is real. No? But, I, I'm not, I'm really, I, I was never convinced. And that's not sound hip or core or anything like that, you know. I'm not hip, I'm not cool, but it's, it's, this is clearly, clearly a movie, you know. It's a props from Bracing Bit, I guess, and the acting all of that, but it just, to be mass released, I just, I just don't buy that. And maybe that's me being, having too much optimism and thinking a studio wouldn't fucking release this shit because. 
I, I, no, I, I am quite optimistic, but maybe at some point they would, and maybe at some point we'll actually get a um, bunch of teams murdered and all of their footage made into literal documentary horror movie. Although we say I've watched a lot of terrible horror movies, and this at least this doesn't have Bigfoot raping it. I mean, fucking. Hell. So hopping between cameras that gets me. Lifting horror. I think that's the best description for it. Lifting horror. Oh no, there goes Mike. He's dropping camera. Heather's screaming is very chilling, by the way. Fascinating when you can make an effect like that. You know? It's a very cheap effect. Notice pitch black and there's fucking Mike in corner. She's screaming. And she's knocked down. And yes, there'll be a retcon for that in the third movie, Blair Witch. But that's fine. That was, yeah, that was Blair Witch. Um, yeah. I'll be back in a second to do my semi movie, so bear with me. And it's time for the outro. So that was a Blair Witch Project commentary. Hope you guys enjoyed that. I kind of ran out of steam at certain points, but I still got throughout the entire movie, so that's good. I... It's not real. It's not a real movie. I don't see how you can see it's a real movie. Mabel, that's one down. I've got two left. I hope you've listened to this and I hope you've understood this isn't fucking real. This is a movie. But that's 33% through your challenge. And I'm going to get through the next two. And then you can be on podcast. And then people will be able to hear your voice and there'll be proof you're real as if someone I've made up. So until next week, remember... Life is beautiful.